0: Hi, and thanks for listening to Ask the Pastor, a segment of the West Hills podcast where you have the opportunity to ask and receive biblical answers on your questions from our lead pastor, Will Duvall. Today's episode is a special episode recorded at the Foundation's Parenting Conference, where Pastor Will led a session called Apologetical Parenting Defending the Faith in Your Home. Hope you enjoy. Alright, so this is apologetical, which is a word, I checked, uh, apologetical of or related to apologetics, parenting, defending the faith in your home. Um, the blurb that you've got in your little booklet there that hopefully was a little teaser for you and um, maybe convinced you to, to be here is, as uh, what I wrote up, recent surveys reveal that roughly eight in ten young adults uh, raised in a Christian home walk away from the church within five years of their high school graduation. We're going to look at some of those stats quickly here in just a moment. How can you equip your child to be one of the 20%? This breakout will provide practical biblical tips for successful apologetical parenting. So uh, for starters, I'm Will Duvall. I think I know all of you, and we just met uh, last night. Um, So uh, yeah, it's it's good to have you all uh, with me. My... um, Part for leading this breakout. Um, actually, I was originally signed up. If you signed up for the conference early, I was signed up to teach a different breakout. And then Pastor Thad and, and Allie, you know, as they were looking at the different offerings, came back and they said, you know, we feel like there's a, a major gap in, you know, a class that we are not currently offering, but we feel like we really need to. And it was this topic. So they approached me about, would you be willing to switch? And I said, absolutely. I mean, you know, that that's Near and dear to my heart, my background is in youth ministry, and um, this was this was always, you know, something that then in our youth groups in the past we made just a really big priority. Um, was you know preparing these these students, high school youth ministry in particular. I did a lot of uh, preparing these students to to um, for the, for what comes next for for college and you know, mom and dad not holding your hand and and dragging you to church anymore and um, really owning up, you know, owning your own faith as we sometimes say in the church. And so, um, you know, I I have a a heart and a passion for this, probably mostly out of my own, you know, story and my own kind of testimony of really kind of spending years walking away from the faith and straying. And so I want to see kids that are raised in the church be safe from that, and, and you know, as we sometimes you know joke about in the church, have, have boring testimonies of just always following the Lord and and not having to go through that prodigal son sort of wandering phase. With that said, let's dive in the problem. So um, starting starting with the problem, I've I've listed you know one stat there in uh, in the blurb for this uh, breakout, but um, I've I took all of these. Um, These stats, by the way, uh, from Rethink315apologetics.com, it's a brand new ministry here in town, uh, led by one of my friends, actually Jeremy Smith, who was formerly at Faith Ascent here in town, Faith Ascent uh, Ministries, um, specifically aims at doing teenage Christian apologetics, preparing kids um, to be launched from the home, and... um, and, uh, anyway, Jeremy is now starting a new ministry. Faith Ascent is still a ministry as well. And so we got two of these, uh, specific targeted, uh, ministries right here in St. Louis. Both are really, really good. We've partnered as a church with both and would highly recommend both. I do have a, a resources list on the back of your worksheet, uh, for this morning. And both of those you'll find on there. And, um, again, because we can't hope to possibly cover everything, uh, this morning as much as anything if you get nothing else i hope that you know having that resource list and having some some uh, some other ministries and websites and books and things that uh, i can point you to that have been helpful for me as i teach through this kind of stuff with with young people um, i hope will will be helpful to you but the problem and the reason that ministries like rethink 315 and faith ascent and others exist Is thus, nearly half of young adults worldwide who have a connection to Christianity feel that the church cannot adequately answer their questions and doubts. You know, so if we just stop there for a minute and think about that, nearly half of young adults, um, they polled young adults they, they define as aged 18 to 35, nearly half of them feel that the church cannot answer questions and doubts. So when I have, you know, these these questions about, um, you know, what I'm learning in my bi- biology class, when I have these questions about, um, you know, what I'm learning in my sex ed class uh, at school, about. Things in the Bible that I'm, I'm, I'm reading when I'm bored, when Pastor Will is droning on, I'm flipping through and I'm finding slavery and I'm fi- finding incest and rape and whatever. You know, why are these things in the Bible? And they feel like they're, uh, those honest questions and doubts are not getting answered or not getting addressed, being sw- swept under the rug by the church. Like the church has skeletons in its closet that, that we're just trying to hide from young adults and maybe they'll just forget about it over time. Seventy percent of students will leave the faith in college. Seven in ten Protestants aged 18 to 30, both evangelical and mainline, uh, who went to church regularly in high school, said they quit attending by age 23. And that was back in 2007, and that trend has only continued and gotten worse. Um, let's see. A majority of 20-somethings, 61% of today's young adults, have been uh, that had been churched at one point during their teen years, are now spiritually disengaged. That was 2006, a Barna study. Uh, 88% of the children in evangelical homes leave church at the age of 18. It's a Southern Baptist uh, survey from 2002, uh, even, even before this. And then finally, if we, if we really zoom in a little bit more, um, specifically 63% of teenage Christians don't believe that Jesus is the son of the one true God. I guess we should qualify this one in particular 63% of teenage professing or, or self identifying Christians, you know, because we could debate whether or not, if you don't believe Jesus is the Son of the One True God, can you, can you rightfully be called a Christian in any sense? But they, they, they call themselves, they identify as Christians, don't believe in Jesus. 51% don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. 68% don't believe the Holy Spirit is a real entity. Only 33% of church youth have said that the church will play a part in their lives when they leave home. So that was from Josh McDowell's book back in 2006. So you know, we could go on and on about uh, the stats and you know, leave feeling really depressed mm-hmm. and, uh, and really just up against it. But I suspect the reason you're here is because you already know, uh, you know on some level, you already feel the weight of all these things. And, um, and again, the, the question that we want to try and get at this morning is the positive side of it. If all of this is true, Then how do we as Christian parents give our kids the best fighting chance to beat the odds, right? To to be the one in five that perseveres in the faith, that that you know maybe frankly you know we can get into the theology of uh, can you can you lose your faith and you know if they walk away from the faith were they really saved at all and all of that, Um, but how do we give our kids the best shot? of, of persevering, of, of beating the odds, of, of being the oddball, the countercultural, the one who perseveres. And so I want to give you five, five things. Again, we could zoom in on any one of these and spend all day discussing. I think, uh, John Michael has, has touched on a lot of these already. and, And I'm sure in his last, um, plenary session, we'll, we'll, um, touch on even more of it as well. But, um, all of these I'm pulling from the Bible, and so what we might do is, um, so that you're not just listening to me the whole time, do you guys have either Bibles or apps on your phone? Or We'll see if the, the type is big enough on your screen, but if you do, I might have some, ask some of you to help me read some of these. Uh, some of them you might have memorized. Does anybody not have a Bible or an app or something? We could skip you. Otherwise, I may have you just go ahead and look up one verse apiece, and we'll all get to read. So, probably, why don't we start and go around in a circle again. Would you go ahead and look for Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? And then Adam, if you want to do Matthew 9, uh, 37, 38. And then on our second one that we'll get to, E.G., if you want to do First Peter two, twelve, And Preeta, you can do Colossians 4. Uh, and then Dave, if you could do Matthew 5. Um, on the third point uh, Melissa if you want to go ahead and look up Proverbs 22 6 and Lou if you want to do John 17 and I think we're going to have the exact right number almost um, on the fourth point here Abby if you want to look up 2 Timothy three sixteen for us Christine if you want to get 1 Peter three fifteen, and then um, I'll do Colossians 316, and uh, I'll finish up in point number five with the the two from Proverbs. So that way we'll all get to read one. But as I said, I want to ground all of this in Scripture. You know, what does God's Word have to tell us about, you know, how we ought to parent our kids in a way that, again, we train them up, we give them the best fighting chance. So number one, and I, I think to a certain extent, these are in order of both chronology and importance so the, the first thing that I got to do as a parent and the most important thing that I got to do as a parent is admit our inability and pray <laughs> if we want to give our kids the best fighting shot of persevering, sustaining in the faith, growing continue to grow in their faith, the first thing that we've got to do um, just like... The first thing we have to do in our own faith when we uh, came to faith in the first place was come to the end of ourselves, realize that at the end of the day we, we cannot do it and we need God to do it for us. You know, John Michael was saying yesterday, uh, last night, change your stars, change your stars. And he, he kept saying that and it, then toward the end he finally you know got to it and said, you can't change your stars, but God can. And that's, that's where we've got to arrive. So Polly, would you read... Ephesians uh, 2 for us. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Alright, so who saved you? Who sustains you and your faith? So if you can't even save yourself, what chance do you have of saving your child? All right. And th- this has got to be the most helpless, I mean, who, who among us as parents would not give the world, would not trade every cent that we have in the bank account in order to be assured that our child or our children are saved. I mean, any good parent, any good Christian parent would trade everything they have materially in this world, emotionally, it would give it all just to know, have that assurance that our child is saved. But we can't, you know, and that's that leaves us in such a, I think it can leave us in such a helpless feeling position, right? Um, that the most important thing in the world for my child, I cannot give them. Only God can give them. Only God can change your heart. Only God can change your stars. And, um, and yet, so why, you know, why does God allow, set up, set up parenting in this way? That the most important thing as a parent that I need to do, I can't do. Right? I think it's the same reason that he sets up salvation that way for us in, 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 in general anyway, is to make us more dependent on him, to make us more reliant on him. It's for to, to build our faith and our trust in him through prayer, through prayer, right? And so that's Matthew 9. Um, Adam, if you would read that one for us. Matthew nine thirty seven and 38. Then Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So, what did Jesus say? The harvest is plentiful. There's lots of people who need to be brought into the kingdom of God. There's not enough people to help out with the job. And so, therefore, do what? Go and recruit more laborers. Therefore, go out and work harder. Therefore, go out and Develop strategies of rhetoric and and study and do a lot of research and apologetics so that you can make sure that you're bringing in the harvest? No. What does he say? Pray. Pray earnestly, because only God, it's his harvest, and only God can bring it in. Uh, Pray that he would send out laborers, right? So you, you, we still have that role to play, right? We're still laborers, co-laborers, in the, the, the gathering in of, of God's harvest, we have essential roles to play as parents. Absolutely. But it's got to start with prayer, and it's got to start with the recognition that, that essentially, fundamentally, at the end of the day, most ultimately, I cannot change my kid's heart. And so you know, that, that should just drive us to such dependency and such intimacy with the Lord that we are just constantly going before his throne, interceding on behalf of our kids, right? So that's point number one. So my, my question, I, I want to give you a question if you want to jot down. And then at the end, if we have time, we'll come back to these and you know, kind of think through and which ones do you want to you know, take away and, and think and pray more about. But first question here, how often do, are you praying actively for not only the salvation of your kids, but their sanctification, the sanctification of your kids? Because some of you have those older kids who have made the profession of faith. You know, are you just as, as, as urgent and diligent about praying for their sanctification? You know, uh, Christianity is, is like business. You're either growing or you're dying. There's no in between. There's no standing still. And so are we praying and are we in, continuing to invest in our kids to grow them up and, um, and th- that God is growing them up and drawing them closer and closer to Him every day as they walk out with Him? All right, so that's, that's question number one. Uh, solution number two, so we, we admit we can't do it, we need God, we pray. Secondly, we've got to live it out. You know, how do we give our kids the best chance of persevering in the Christian faith? We live it out. First uh, Peter 2.12, E.G., can you read that one for us? Brother. Keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Right, I love this because I, I have to believe somewhere in the back of his mind as he's writing this, Peter had our parenting in mind and our kids. Because who is more Gentile than your kids? Right, I mean, who 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 speaks out against you as an evildoer more than your kids? You know, I hate you. You're wrong, you know, that's not fair. Right? I mean, you you know. The, the Gentiles out there are, you know, pretty nice to us, whatever. Um, you know, they think we're good church folks. But your kids, that's where this whole light versus darkness, you know, there's no fellowship and, and believers and unbelievers. That this is where this really, I think, the rubber hits the road. And what is so what does Peter say? Keep your teaching among the Gentiles honorable? Keep your preaching. Tell them the right things? No, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. That they may Hear your good works, hear about, no, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Um, You know, we've all heard it. Actions speak louder than words, right? Um, Faith without works is what? Dead. Dead. Uh, Most of Christianity is caught, not taught. I mean, if you take nothing away from, from this today, take that with you. Christianity is caught, it's not taught. You know, yes, we need to be telling our kids the gospel but, you know, I, I'm getting to preach here tomorrow on Philemon. And uh, Paul doesn't even share the gospel in Philemon explicitly. It's just the gospel in, in action. It's, it's the gospel lived out in this relationship between a slave and his master. So this, it's, it's, it's caught. It's not taught. We need to be living it out. Colossians 4. Uh, preach it if you could read that for us. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Thank you. So there is a speech, there is a a teaching, a preaching, a a talking, um, an answering each person element to it, but why does he start with walking in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time? Because are people going to bother to listen to you if they don't see you walking it out? I right? um are your kids going to bother listening to you if they don't see us walking it out uh you know if we if you had to choose between talking the talk or walking the walk in your home which do you think which do we think is is more important let our let our walking do the talking for us you know we need to we need to make sure that we're living our faith out that they see um these these traits these kind of gospel principles that we're trying to teach them um, at work in our, in our lives, and our marriage. So, Dave, you had uh, Matthew 5, I believe. You're the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Thank you. If we are, as we should be, regularly witnessing to our kids, telling them about what Christ has done for them, to reconcile them to a holy Father... Uh, if, we're, if we're regularly investing in them preaching, teaching the gospel to them. and not only that that He's raised raised, Jesus was raised to new life in order to you know, seat us with God in heaven one day to raise us to new life, to give us His same resurrection power over sin. If we're preaching all of that in the home, in the home um, as we should, Are our kids also seeing the fruit of that in our own lives? Are they seeing the fruit of that in our marriages? Did they see new life in our marriage? Did they see new life in you know my victory over you know the sin? I remember you know Daddy using those words last year, but he doesn't use those words anymore, right? God must be doing something, changing him, making him more sanctified into more of of uh, the kind of child of God that he's actually. Objectively called him and, and made him into already, he's subjectively, he's changing his heart and making him shaping him, molding him more into that. Did they see it in our parenting, right? Because because kids are selfish. So they are gonna pick up things in the way that we relate to one another and they they hear, you know, the 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 conversations at the dinner table about, you know, how we complain about our coworkers and whatever, but more than anything, kids are selfish. They wanna, you know, how how is my parent relating to me? Do they see us over time relating to them differently? You know, I I think there's a. a, I I love the wordplay thing with apologetics here, apologetical parenting, because I think one of the absolute most important, best things, and probably frankly underappreciated and and utilized um, things in Christian parenting that we have to be doing for our kids is apologizing. You know, when was the last time you apologized to your kid? Yesterday. Good. That's so encouraging. You know, because the reality is the reality is if you're not, then either you're a perfect parent and you never sin, or you know, you're you're too prideful and, and, and you are not able to humble yourself. And here's the thing, guys, if you know if the gospel is that we're sinners in need, desperate need of God's grace, of his redeeming, forgiving grace. What better way to, again, model that, live that out for them, than to regularly, like when we recognize, Daddy overreacted, you know, I had a hard day at work, you know, I snapped, I took it out on you, I, 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 that was not fair, I'm sorry. Or, you know, whatever the, the, the case may have been, what better way? And so I would just um, commend this book to you on this point for, for living it out. Uh, Paul, Paul David Tripp's book, Parenting, it's the absolute best book. On parenting, period, that I've read. And um, especially on this point, you know, because the, the point that he's driving home more than anything in the book is we need to learn to see ourselves as more similar to our kids than we are different. Because, you know, the way that God views us and treats us and thinks of us as our heavenly parent. You know, if we really think about that as the model, the, the, the analogy for how we relate to our parents, or our kids rather, um, you know, we, are, we are in such need of, of grace, mercy, uh, slowness to anger, compassion. That, praise God, that's the kind of God that we have. And so how much more so do we want to model that and be that for our kids and bear with them you know, in their sin and their imperfection and lead with ours and be honest, hey, I'm a kid just like you. I'm a kid, and I, I sin regularly, and I need uh, God's forgiveness all the time. So do, does our lives, do our lives, our actions, regularly? Not always notice the word regularly. Do they regularly, consistently, testify to the truth of the gospel in our home? I think that's a, a good just sort of self-check. Um, hopefully, again, some conviction, but hopefully also some encouragement for us. Not always. We're all sinners and and we mess up. But are our lives and our actions testifying in real life, in real uh, living out kind of way to the gospel in our home? Number three. Number three. Be in relationship with your kid, with your children. Be in relationship. Um, Proverbs 22, verse 6. Is that Melissa? Uh, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. All right, thank you. Most popular verse at every biblical parenting conference. John Michael already uh, listed it as well it should be. John Michael already read it for us this morning as well. But the thing that I want to point out for the purposes of point number three here is this. Does it say tell a child the way he should go? Preach at them? Polly mentioned her parents growing up. Just kind of telling her all the time, this is what it means to to be a dozer. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be, you know, this is how you, does it say, does it even say show them the way in which they go? You know, model it for them. That was point number two, live it out. That's important. But the proverb doesn't say model for them the way they should go. No, it says train up, Shannach in Hebrew. And when we were training, uh, so so why am I saying all this about training? When we were training our our uh, our dog Bentley when she was a puppy, um, we should have known better than to get her in the first place. Um, at the shelter, at the shelter, they had named her Sassy, you know. And she came over and she cuddled with us, and we're like, she's not. They must have misnamed her. She's not. And it wasn't until we got her home that we realized, you know, we'd already renamed her Bentley, and we realized, yeah, we, this this may be a mistake, but. Um, we realized why they, they named her that. I had a, a busier job, so Polly was going to try and do sort of the bulk of some of her training. After a few sessions, taking her to PetSmart and whatever else, Polly's like, this is not really working. <laughs> she doesn't listen to me. She listens to you. And again, we, we realized through the, the trainer later that, you know, the way dogs are wired, they, they, you know, identify who the alpha is, and that's sort of the pack leader, and that's um, who they, you know, fall in line with. Um, I get that our kids, I'm not calling her, saying our her kids are dogs or whatever else. I'm just saying, I think that the point still stands here that you will not be, even for humans, you will not be trained by someone that you do not have a relationship of respect of trust of you know and yes, frankly, authority, there is that that sense of, of authority I 'm not saying you know it's a domineering I'm the alpha, you know I 'm stronger and I can bite harder that makes you the authority in the home you know we're humans we're not wolves, but th- there has to be a relationship of, of trust, of love of respect. Um, that is only developed again within the context of relationship. Your your child will not be trained by you. They will constantly be, you know, bucking against, butting heads. If there's not that relationship, we know this. I mean, we, we all we all know that. I'm not telling you anything that you don't know. The importance of of being in relationship and giving someone. You know that, that relational authority to invest in you and to to um, to, to train you to change your mind on things. Um, that are we developing that kind of relationship with our kids? John seventeen uh, verses twenty two and twenty three. Is that you? Yeah. yeah, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. So this is Jesus praying that high, high priestly prayer to his father um, in the upper room uh, the night before he's, he's crucified. And what is his final prayer for his disciples? That, that we may be one. Unity of the church preached on a couple weeks ago here. Perfectly one. Just as I am in you and you are in me, Father, for, for all his followers. My point here is just this this passage speaks to the kind of intimacy, closeness, loving trust that I think Christ desires for us in all of our uh, healthy relationships uh, within the church, certainly, but how much more so then between us in our family, uh, our marriages has got to start, but then secondarily in our parenting, right? I think... Jesus would pray the same prayer for us with our kids, that we may be you know, perfectly one, that we may be, enjoy that kind of intimacy and closeness with our kids in the way that, that Jesus does even with the Father. Um, how much should we desire that? Our kids desire that. You know, even when they act out and even when they make it seem like they you know, hate us and whatever else, you know, deep down, our kids want that with us. And uh, I would just say, lastly, on this point, I think you can, again, what's the saying? Um, your kids and anyone, they don't, they don't care how much you know until what? They know how much you care, right? And that's, that's what this one really boils down to, is I don't care. You can be the world's greatest apologist. I used to say Robbie Zacharias, but you mm-hmm. can't say him, but you can be Tim Keller, you can be Josh McDowell, fill in the blank. But if your kids don't, Come to you to discuss the serious, important stuff in their lives, you know, what's on their minds, what's on their hearts, boys, puberty, uh, friend group drama, and yes, their doubts and, and the things they're wrestling through with their faith. If we don't have that kind of relationship with our kids where they know we're approachable and they know, They know, just like John Michael said this morning, there's nothing that you can do that will ever make me love you any less. If they don't know there's that bedrock foundation of unconditional love and trust, um, then, and they're not coming to us, then, you know, the rest of it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much we know. Um, We've already lost the game. So, question on this one Do you have the kind of relationship with your kids where they come to you with their questions of faith? Uh, They have them, they have the questions. You know, so if you're like, well, you know, I mean, my 13 year old, they just don't really not a deep thinker, da da da, whatever. Even I feel like the most shallow, you know, we, we have them at different degrees and some of us are more deep, you know, meditative souls than others or whatever. But, you know, we all wrestle through these things. So, um, if they're not asking you, they're asking someone. And, uh, if, if they're not asking you, um, you know, is that a point of conviction for you in my relationship with them? You know who who are they going for, and how can I uh, show that just active interest and love in, in their life? And you know, I think it starts by asking about the things that are important to them. You know, their friend group drama and all that. Uh, now, notice we're through three points and through you know thirty seven minutes, and we haven't even begun to talk about actual apologetics. Maybe some of y'all are frustrated by that, uh, but let me just ask you, what percent of the battle of um, our kids may, persevering in the faith. What percent of the battle do you think we've already accomplished and, and talked about in just these first three steps without getting to the last two? 90%? 95%? Just having the relationship, living it out in real life, praying for your kids? Those three things, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, it's got to be... I thought we were done after- you, you, just pray just we're going to spend the rest of the, just, yeah. the, <laughs> rest of the session pray yeah that's good I, the prayer is probably the 90 the, 90 the points two and three might be another eight percent maybe we're 98 percent of the way done but here's the 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 last one um but no well let me just say a quick word about that i'm convinced i am convinced in my working with youth ministry and whatever else, very few people, if any, very few people uh, truly walk away from the Christian faith because they found better answers elsewhere. I I mean, you want to talk about faith? Uh, Read... um, I've got it on the resources. I can't remember who it was that that wrote. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, and that's that's true of me. I tried. I tried to live as an atheist for a couple years in there somewhere, and it just. I don't have the faith for it. Like to 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 believe that all of this just popped randomly out of blind chance into existence without any governing higher power, personal agency behind. It. I mean. Forget about it. Um, to, to, to buck against the biology of two biological sexes and like to, the, just the, the gymnastic, intellectual gymnastics it takes to convince yourself that there aren't men and women. and that, you know, I mean, just the craziness that we see going on in our, in our world today, you know, people don't walk away from Christianity because the answers are better elsewhere. They don't. They walk away, and our kids won't. They walk away because, number one, they don't see Christians living the answers out. Hypocrisy. And number two, because frankly, they don't like the answers. Even though they know they're true deep down, they don't like the answers. Because what are the repercussions of Christianity being true? What? Yeah. That means there is a real heaven and a hell. It means there is a real God, and I'm not Him. <laughs> and I have to wait, you, it's the authority. That I have to submit to someone else, someone else's God, not me. You know, and, and, and we, in our sinful flesh, we hate that and we reject that. So the, the, this is why people walk away from Christianity. Um, and so because of that, you know, that's why I've spent the bulk of this on um, points one through three. But we'll just quickly in our last five minutes go through these last uh, two because they're, they're also very important. Number four. Uh, is this you, Abby? Thank you. So, if we're going to train them, what are we going to train them in? Do do they need to know what it means to be a Dozier, to be a Duvall, to be a part of our, you know, or do they need to know what it means to be a part of the family of God, you know, and let God do the talking, God do the speaking? If we're going to do that, if we're going to speak, you know, as I seek to on Sundays from the pulpit on behalf of God to be a mouthpiece of God in your home, you know, God has already spoken. It's it's right here. It's his word, um, and so we've got to know it. You know, this is point number four: is know God's word. Um, it's got to be in you. Uh, and and uh, will let's go ahead and do First Peter three fifteen. Christina. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Thank you. So. He says, be ready, as I think Abby alluded to before, be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you. He doesn't say, be ready to look it up. And I think sometimes as Christians, we, we let ourselves off the hook, you know, and we'll, pastors you know, and, and an apologists, you know, you don't have to have all the answers. It's okay in that conversation at work, whatever, you know, with your kids to say, you know, I don't really know the answer to that. Let me go. And can I get back to you? Can we talk Monday? Um, And that's okay. And I I, I don't want to buck too much against that. I think humility is important in all of this, right? But um, Peter doesn't say, be ready to go look it up. He says, be ready to make an offense. You know, we we are called to be ready to make an offense. And the way that we do that is by knowing God's word, is by internalizing his word, so that when our kids do come to us with, hey, I learned this in sex ed class, you know, you can, you, you know, if you don't have it memorized, chapter and verse, you can at least take them there and say, hey, well, let's turn to Genesis 1. Now, let's turn to Genesis 2 and let's, and let's read it together. Um, and you can go there. And that only happens, Colossians 3.16, I'll read this one. If you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. You know, the, the Word of Christ has to dwell within us richly. We've got to get God's Word into us. It's, we've got to, you know, Joshua 1.8, meditate on it day and night. Um, we need to, to have it readily available on our hearts and our minds um, so that when these topics are coming up, we know uh, where to point them in God's Word to let Him speak on uh, these issues. All truth is God's truth, Right? All truth is God's truth, and so um, you know the Bible weighs in on virtually every you know question in one way or the other that our kids can be asking. The question is: Are we ready? Are we prepared to make a defense? Are we ready? Can we readily offer? Uh, your child biblical answers to their honest questions you don 't have to know the latest you know scientific data you don 't have to you know be able to you know give them the eight point detailed cosmological argument um, but you need to know god 's word and you need to know where to point them in god 's word um, and then lastly, number five get you all out of here much um, time do I have explore trusted resources together um, Explore trusted resources together. Uh, Proverbs twenty-five two says, it is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search it out. That's uh, pretty interesting. God purposely conceals some things. Why? To give us the glory, he says, to give us the benefit um, of actually being able to search things out. And um, you know, I think if we if we have the other four things, if we have that kind of confident trust in God's word, if we have the kind of confident trust in our in our parenting and our relationship with our kids, this this is where it can get get to be actually fun. I mean, really fun. I, I look forward to being able, you know, to get those questions from Ellery as she continues to grow, from Elijah as he grows, and be able to say, "That's a great question. Let's go. Let's go research that together." you know, and then, you know, they'll probably be, oh, I don't care that much, you know. Um, but you know, to, to, to search things out in God's word and in, in science, because again, all truth is God's truth. You know, we don't have to be afraid as believers of, of science and what we might find there. But i just, you know, leave you with two things. Number one, uh, don't, don't ever, the worst thing I think we can do with apologetical uh, parenting is shut down their questions. Um, I'll just give two negative examples from my parents my parents were great overall love them I will give you one each with the livid out one uh, I remember never forget sixth grade um, my my father left our home um, and then I, I I was all-star baseball team the year before I went into a spiral after that wanted to quit the baseball team my mom called him you know he wants to quit you know you need to come talk to him my dad. You know, came back for a day to, to talk to me. And I'll never forget him. As he, It was like as the words were coming out of his mouth, he realized how hypocritical they were. Uh, you know, we didn't raise you to be a quitter. You know, that's the, probably the number one worst thing you can do for your kids is not live it out. But number two would be to shut down their honest questions of faith. So I'll give you my mom's example here. I remember, you know, being in, it was late elementary school and coming to that point, so uh, reading the Bible for myself, why, why is there this stuff about slavery in the Bible? We'll talk about it tomorrow with Philemon. Why is there this stuff about slavery in the Bible? And uh, her answer was, you think you could have written the Bible better than God? Now, don't answer your kids that way, all right? Learn from my parents' neg- negative examples, and don't do that. Um, encourage those kinds of questions from them. That's a great question. Let's go research it and find it out together. I, give you, I left you with a list of resources I won't get, have time to go through all of them. I started, you know, with I taught a ten-week apologetics class here, going through the top ten reasons people aren't Christians, uh, probably four years ago now. And I've got the Google Drive for the audio recordings for all the resources I pulled and the, the class notes and all of that. If you want that, just email me and I'll share that with you. The rest of them are there. I gave you the website links to, to things. I gave you the book titles, and um, but but get into those resources for yourself. You know, find. A couple that seem like they they work with um, where your kids are at now and the questions they're asking. But I'll, I'll end with this question for us: You know, which specific apologetics or defense of the faith, faith type questions do you most need to research in order to fill in your current gaps? You know, maybe it is the qu- what questions are your kids at the stage of asking right now? My five-year-old, I mean, she's asking all sorts of questions. What kinds of questions do I need to be brushing up on? And re- books do I need to go be going back and reading to make sure that I'm ready to uh, ready to offer a uh, defense. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Ask the Pastor. Remember that you can ask your questions each week at the info bar at West Hills or by submitting them online through our website at westhillsstl.org. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already. And thanks for listening.